Hey, this is your host, Kate Gaffney of Service from Hell, and I'm jumping on quickly to let you know that Mitch Burrow, who is the guest this week, was my third interview ever in the history of the show, and that was way back in 2019 when I interviewed him, and the audio quality ended up being terrible because I didn't know what I was doing, and there's lots of reasons why, but one of the many was that I didn't realize that microphones pick up, or my particular microphones pick up the sound if you just keep touching the microphone, and I didn't have mic stands, and so Mitch had to keep touching it, and... I did everything I could to try and salvage the audio and was unable to. So I had to reach out to Mitch and say, hey, friend, can we do this again? And he was lovely about it. And he was like, yeah, absolutely. No problem. And what's ironic is that when I did the interview at first, he wasn't married. He didn't have a kid and he definitely lived in L.A. and we worked at a comedy club together. Now he lives in Texas, is married, has a child, doesn't work at a comedy club. And he's still touring and he's still he goes up all the time because he's hilarious. But it's just so weird how quickly things can change in two and a half years. And so I'm really excited to have him back. But my interview style has changed. The questions have changed. My intro has changed. The name of the show has changed since I first did this interview with him. And so, yeah, thank you all so much for listening. Please enjoy. Find Mitch on all the socials. Find Mitch on all over the internet because he has so many clips out there and is so, so, so funny. He's one of my favorite comics. So Mitch Burrow, here we go. Hello. Oh. Check, check. One, two, three. Okay. Hi. Maybe we've done it. Hello. I'm doing a thumbs up. I'm doing my finger up, doing two fingers up, three fingers up. Okay. All right. Well, I'm getting, I'm, it's, it's. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. It's not great, but it's better than it was. So <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm just going to air the shitty audio one and I'll air this one right back to back and just be like, we are not meant to talk on this podcast <laughs> about your service history. It's not meant to be. I do stuff from this uh, laptop all Oh, hi, you're listening to Surface from Hell, which was formerly called Waiting Tables when I first asked this week's guest to be on the show a hundred years ago. This is a show featuring people currently in customer service positions or the lucky few that got out and all of the good, bad, and infinitely irritating things that go along with that work. I'm actor and writer Kate Gaffney, and I'm uniquely qualified to discuss this as I used to work at a very busy and very popular comedy club in Los Angeles. And at least one of you listening right now has probably grabbed me and told me you were ready to order when I was running around like a crazy person. So let's eat. And that intro has changed too because I was employed back when we recorded and back when I wrote that. I'd like to welcome our guest, comic Mitch Burrow. Mitch is, and I quote, a stand-up comic that placed second in the 2015 Seattle International Comedy Competition and was the winner of the 2015 Trial by Laughter Competition. Mitch is a Marine Corps veteran that served in Operation Iraqi Freedom in 2003. He then started a career in manufacturing before realizing that sucked. Mitch has appeared on six episodes of the Fox show Laughs, where he was listed as the next big thing on his first appearance. Since we first recorded this episode way back in 2019, he is now a Texas-based human. He is a husband to a former guest and friend of the podcast, Miss Lee Lampson Quay Burrow. Now she has 67 last names and father to the ridiculously (laughs) adorable who we love so much, Miss Billy, who's cuter than both of them. And I better know Mitch because again, way back when we recorded this in 2019, we were co-workers at a comedy club in Hollywood on the Sunset Strip that we are now both free from. I'm going to leave that there. Uh, so Mitch. That is, <laughs> no, go ahead. No, I was, I was just going to say that is uh, that is true. We are now free from that place. It, it has a hold on you 
while you're there that feels like you may never get away from it. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and, and we escaped. We did. And the uh, the reason we are re-recording is because um, of audio issues. And I already recorded an intro explaining some of that. But we are having... <laughs> ironically, some similar audio issues today. So I have just decided we're going to power through and there will be a delay and I will do my best to edit all of that out. But uh, apologies, folks, we're getting this episode out. Damn it. It's happening. I'm interviewing Mitch. So Mitch, please tell us all about your comedy. (laughs) Tell us about where you are right now. Tell us about how, you know, things have shifted a bit for you and where people can see you perform. Tell us all the things. Well, uh, my comedy has moved from the entertainment capital of the world of Los Angeles to Texas. Uh, during the pandemic, we had a baby and I just was uh, kind of worried about being able to take care of her since we weren't able to really go on the road and perform anymore. So I, uh, I, w- I kind of went back to my old roots uh, working on the airplanes and I, I took a job in Texas working on airplanes for a while. So we're out here and uh, I, I, I travel to Austin on a regular basis to perform and because of my background being a military veteran, I, uh, I get I get booked on a on a lot of uh, veteran benefit shows uh, across the country and I'm still performing at clubs again now that they've opened up. So I'm, I'm back into being able to, to perform a lot. Uh, but I'm still maintaining this this job, the the job that I took to come out here. What your trajectory was was you're originally from. I was originally from Georgia. Okay. Uh, where I, I I left at 18 when I joined the military. Spent five years in the Marine Corps, uh, and then started working on airplanes when I got out of the Marine Corps. I that's what I did. I I was a, a aircraft mechanic in the Marine Corps, and then I continued doing that. And then I'd say probably seven years into that, I I was just really pursuing comedy uh, pretty strongly and decided to pursue it full time and moved down to Los Angeles where I spent the better part of a decade just trying to do stand-up comedy full time based out of, you know, all the clubs there in LA and uh, it's, it's a grind. It's, it's hard. I will say that anyone who actually makes it, uh, they, they earned it. And so you were, when you were doing the the comedy club grind, one of those things included becoming a door person at a comedy club in Hollywood that we've talked about on this podcast or on this show a thousand times. So when you were a door person at the store, what did, did that change things for you? Did that accelerate comedy for you? Like what did that do? Yeah, things were going really good for me there for, for a minute um, before COVID happened. Uh, so I'm, I'm working at the comedy store as a door guy and basically that you just check people's IDs when they come in. You sit them down uh, where they're supposed to sit in the showroom. And then if, if anyone's just causing trouble, you just notify security and, and they remove them. So it's a, it's a position of, you know, greeting people, making sure uh, the shows run smoothly. And then on top of that, you get to perform on several shows at the best comedy club in the country uh, throughout the week. I would I would be on maybe three shows a week there, which was pretty good. And then I was performing at the improv as well. So get us up to today, Mitch. So you are, so you, so you moved to LA, you start working, we're get, we'll get into the specifics of the jobs in the next section, but you, you start working all around LA. Like, were you able to, so w- when you got out of manufacturing and you were like, I'm done with this, I'm moving to LA. Had you had enough money saved that you were like, I don't immediately have to get work in LA or were you like, 
I need to start hustling. I need a nine to five. I had a buddy that went down a couple of years before me and that was his biggest problem was he hadn't saved up enough. So I was in a position where I was able to save up about $30,000 uh, before I moved to Los Angeles. And I thought that was going to be quite a while. <laughs> and then I was asking tickets and you're done. So it, uh, it it was about a, a year or two into it where I, I realized like I really needed to get another source of income if I was going to be able to stay there. So the 30000 doesn't really last you all that long because you got a handful of parking tickets. So then you're did you immediately go to working at a comedy club or were you like bouncing around to other jobs first? I was one of those. Uh, um, I don't know what you call it, but the, anything that's on it. Uber. And then I found one that kind of suited me a little bit better called TaskRabbit. And uh, that's just where you're you're like a, it's Uber for handyman. OK. Uh, all right. So you do. So you get to those jobs and then Sorry, I'm just I'm just watching your. I'm, <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going to. Why is it so computer bad? Through the window. Well, folks, here we are again. This is going to I'm titling and titling this episode just audio issues because that has been the relentless trajectory for interviewing Mitch Burrow. Really, every time I've tried to interview him, I don't know why the universe is not allowing for this experience to happen. So we're trying again. I've sent three new links. I have reset my computer. Mitch has reset his. So we're trying again, folks. Let's see if we can make this happen when he's on. Oh, I'm on. Can you not hear me? Oh, there he is. I can hear Mitch. Okay. Well, <laughs> let's try again. Mitch, where we left off was you saying that you were able to, you didn't have to necessarily get a job immediately in corporate nine to five, but you did have to get a job you did Uber and then you did TaskRabbit. Um, so you were kind of all over the place. What got you to being a door person at the comedy store? Well, I had just performed with a couple of uh, the guys that already worked there. So they liked me and thought that I was funny and uh, put in a word for me. And then I finally got to go up in front of the booker at the comedy store, Adam Egot, And he, he, he liked me. And when I told him that I wanted to be a door guy, he was like, yeah, let's go to Okay. And that's pretty much what happened. That's awesome. Okay. So now you are down in Texas now and you said that you go to Austin pretty regularly. What is that drive from where you are to Austin? That's not a, it's not an hour. <laughs> yeah, that's five hours. Uh, one way. So I, uh, yes, it's five hours one way. I'm two hours from Dallas and I'm two hours from Oklahoma City. So I go to those places every now and then trying to build up a little bit of a scene in, in this little town that I'm in. But uh, yeah, I, I it's worth it for me to go down to Austin. Uh, so I do it at least once or twice a month. And I, I try to get on a, uh, as many shows as I can during the weekend when I'm down there. And that's got to be, I mean, not only is that time restrictive because you're working a regular crazy hour job right now, but that's also... I mean, do you feel like you're making En-ROADS? Because I know that sometimes that's the kind of grind you got to do in LA and you can sometimes feel like you're not really making any headway. So do you feel like there's progress in, in creating the audience down there for yourself? Yeah, I mean, the, the scene down there is so good. Um, there's probably five comedy clubs that are really uh, just full with audience every time you go down there. Um, Joe Rogan's club is going to be opening up soon and there's going to be another club that's opening uh, down there. So 
I mean, the the audience loves stand-up comedy. And, you know, who knows? I mean, maybe the, the goal is to eventually get down there uh, and be back into comedy full-time and not having to support my, myself and my family with a job that I really don't want to do anymore. <laughs> yeah. Do they pay for shows down in Austin? Yeah, and some of them I get paid uh, quite well for. I also just did the the uh, Austin Comedy Competition where I placed uh, second once again. I don't know what my problem is with com- competition my whole career, but I consistently place second in some pretty big uh, competitions or I'm at least a, a finalist in them. I've, I did second in Seattle, second or third in San Francisco, Second in this one, I've been a, a finalist in Big Sky and down at uh, Laughing Skull in Atlanta. So I'm consistently up there, but I never like break through the to get the number one spot. So it's pretty frustrating at times. Yeah, I would I would imagine that that's uh, I, I would feel like I was bashing my head against the wall. But at least so when you are down is the Austin comedy scene, as far as support goes, does it feel different than it felt in L.A., or does it feel like a grind in both cities? I think in Austin, the biggest difference is that they're not worried about what they're going to say on stage or, or the wrong person seeing them. or It doesn't constantly feel like an audition, because when you're in Los Angeles, you never know who's going to be in that audience. So a lot of times you're not really... Uh, trying new stuff you're not really being as prolific as you could be because you want to always crush so you end up with a lot of people just doing the same five and ten minute sets that they always do austin is like a really great stand-up comedy city where there's no industry there where you're trying to get on television or anything like that you're just doing comedy so you really do see a lot of people who are just uh really great stand-up comedians and constantly pushing themselves to to do more and and be better and it's one of the best cities that i've ever been in as far as stand-up comedy is concerned that's awesome i did not know that and so it sounds like especially because of rogan's club opening down there and the various new avenues of attention that are going to happen when life is breathed back down there do you think that the the comedy industry will follow suit and start to send recruitment down there or do you think it'll stay protected I mean, I don't know. The The truth is New York and L.A. are always going to be number one and number two. I don't think you'll ever be able to, to take away from that because there's so much of the entertainment industry outside of stand-up comedy that's there. And a lot of people who get into stand-up comedy are looking for a, a, the next level of, of entertainment as far as their careers is concerned. Um, and I don't know if the industry is really going to be branching out and saying, let's send talent managers and agents to Austin to to see if we can get some people out here. But but I don't know if as, as comedians, we need that industry anymore when we have podcasts. And I mean, look, you got Theo Vaughn, Tom Segura, Christina P. The, these people have podcasts that far exceed any audience that they would be getting by being on a network sitcom. They've cultivated their own thing. And I think that's what a lot of comedians are, are seeing now is that you don't need the entertainment industry to, to build an audience. You can do it on your own with a little help from a bigger podcast. You do Joe Rogan's podcast. Now 
15,000 people are going to come check out your podcast next week because millions of them heard you on, on his. That's so right. And it's sort of a, it's not even a snake eating itself. It's more of an, the, like lifting yourself out of what was a snake eating itself. Now it's like, no, no, we're, we're stepping out of that. It's the same is true for a lot of actors too, is like, oh, you don't necessarily have to be in Los Angeles and New York and NBC just announced that they're going to start signing people off of TikTok and off of their TikTok followings. And it's like, you can do TikTok from a mountain in Montana. And like there, so the industry and everything I feel like is changing because of access. So I think you're right. So it's good. Live somewhere cheaper. Um, okay. Well, Mitch, get us to, so right now you're in Texas. You're all you need. Go ahead. I, I was going to say, all you need is a really good internet connection, which apparently oh, one of us does not have. Shoot me in the face. <laughs> yeah. We're just, uh, it's just not meant to, it's just not meant to hear each other, Mitch. It's making me crazy. Um, okay. So yeah, I agree with you. And, um, do you want to plug anything up top right now that you're, cause you have a podcast right now that you're working on or that you have out in the world. Do you want to talk about that at all? No, I, we haven't released it yet. We we're trying to get a couple episodes in, but it's called, uh, Mitch and Kelly stuck in Texas. I do radio with one of the, the local DJs here in Texas. And we started doing a podcast together where she's trying to get into stand up comedy. So I'm giving her help with uh with with her act and i'm trying to be a good parent and uh she's she's got a 19 and a 16 year old so i just go to her with like hey this is what's going on with with my child how do you fix this and then she's like hey i wrote this joke. people didn't laugh like i thought they would how do you fix this and we just try and help each other out as best we can do you have a boilerplate answer for when someone says to you, like, in my, because I've heard this from comics so many times, in my head, this was going to be the best joke. And it almost never lands. It's usually the odd, like, side shit that you say off of that. Do you have a boilerplate answer for when she says something like that to you or when anyone does? My answer to that is if in your head you thought it was funny, then more than likely it is. You just have to figure out how to translate that. And one of the things that I started out early on was just asking myself, why is that funny? Because if I can explain it, then I can write the punchline to, to, to bring that, that laughter that I'm searching for. Because sometimes you just see it in your head and you can't really, uh, you, you can't articulate it as well as you would like to. But if you just keep asking yourself, why is this funny? You'll eventually get to the point you're trying to to make i think i agree with that okay well we're plugging along folks we're gonna get through this it's still gonna be amazing okay <laughs> we hope you enjoyed your apps we're gonna move on to the entrees after i shoot myself in the face because of this internet connection <laughs> we are back and now we're moving on to the entrees okay mitch now you've done this before but your answers may change. Who knows? Or you may have thought, you know, in the three years since we first recorded, you may have different answers now. What was your first job ever where the government was taking taxes out of your salary? So not like paper route, but what was the, what was your first job? I worked at a fast food restaurant. Uh, there's a place called Bojangles in the Southeast. They do fried chicken and biscuits. They probably make the best biscuits that you'll ever eat in your life. Uh, unless you eat something that my grandmother made. Um, and that was, uh, that was really fun. I was the only white boy in the kitchen. Uh, and I say it like that cause that's what I got called it a lot was, uh, Hey, white boy, go, go, go get the, go get the chicken for, for the customers. 
Uh, it was uh, one of the first diverse jobs that I that I had, and it was great. I had a I had a blast uh, working there, and from then I, I went into the Marine Corps. So it was a it was a short lived career in fast food. How long did you work at Bojangles? I think I did it for about two years. Um, it was uh, it was a fun gig, uh, and I got a lot of free chicken. You got a lot of free chicken, you said. Yeah, I got a I got a lot of free chicken, okay. which made it a little bit harder for me to make it through Marine Corps boot camp. Oh, but it did. So I I don't know that I've had anyone on. I don't even know that you told me about Bojangles before. Fast food, the thing that sticks in my mind is the monotony of it, and especially if you're cooking. Like, how did you get through just like the turn and burn and the constant, like being in the heat with the grease and the you know, and it's the same thing every day. Like, how did you mentally get through that? Well, I th- I think a chicken restaurant is different because you're you're dipping the chicken in the batter and then you're getting it floured up and, and then you fry it and then it sits in the fryer for a while. Uh, so you kind of have some some time to kind of just uh, joke around with your coworkers and stuff while that's going. It's not like a burger place where you're constantly flipping burgers and and making sandwiches. It's more of a it's you kind of have a rush. And then once it's done, you, you're kind of chilling for a little bit. And then there was the other side of the house that was making biscuits. Uh, and that was kind of got promoted in that gig. Uh, and so once you got to that, it, you, had, you knew how many biscuits you had to make. And you was just hitting, hitting that number and then just cleaning your station for the rest of the night. It wasn't that bad. So you liked it. it was the coworkers that really made the difference for you. Was that like you could get through kind of any of the monotony, but you got to screw around with fun people? Yeah, a hundred percent. Like I was, I was just some boy lived on young black dudes that went to a different school in a different city, and you know, like I was coming in there listening to Garth Brooks, and then they were like, "Hey, let me introduce you to Master P, <laughs> Mister Ice Cream Man," and I was like, "Well, I've been missing out on some stuff." <laughs> okay. Um, how many customer service jobs would you have? And honestly, I would count being in the Marine Corps because you are, that is customer service at the highest level. So how many, if we say Bojangles, Marine Corps, that's two, uh, obviously being a door person at the store, that's three. What else have you had? I mean, it depends. If, if you consider those, uh, those jobs like Uber and, and Lyft and, uh, and doing handyman work through TaskRabbit, you know, that, that, that's pretty much it. Were those and I, I got to be honest. I I try to be as respectful as I can to any kind of Uber or Lyft driver because I know when I was doing it, the worst part is people are getting in your vehicle and they're acting like it's not your own personal vehicle. They act like it's a taxi cab, and I've had people like get in and just light up a cigarette and start riding. I'm like, what do you mean you can't smoke in my car? You know, like they just they have no respect. So uh, that's probably the worst. Uh, service industry job that I that I had is is driving. What is it that you would have? So was it truly the biggest pain in the ass? Was people think like just treating it like it was a cab? Was there were you were you spoken to any kind of way or was it not really that? It was more you're screwing with my car. Honestly, like when it comes to how they speak to you, it's never that they're talking to you rudely. Uh, it's like they act like you don't exist. Ooh. You know, like you're getting into my car. And we're going somewhere and then like, and I, I get it. Who wants to talk to a stranger or something, but they just get in and they're looking at their phone for, for 15 minutes or whatever. And it's like, I, I am not a person. 
in in their eyes. They do not view me as the same. Yeah, there is a specific energy with that. Are you comfortable talking about your the family business that you also had a pretty uh, long run with? Oh yeah, I, uh, I, I my my grandfather started a, a business uh, where we manufactured tombstones. Uh, it was it was a granite business, and uh, my granddad ran that for a while, and then my dad took over. And that's when I started working for it was while my dad was the boss. And that was tough because there were a bunch of times because my granddad was still around. So my dad and I would get into it and he'd tell me, you know, he'd be like, why don't you just take your ass on home? I don't want to see you around here no more. Next day would roll around. I wouldn't be at work. My granddaddy would call me up. He's he's like, hey, son, where you at? I was like, well, daddy fired me (laughs) yesterday. And he'd be like, look, I'll, I'll talk to him just just come on into work. I need you to run the diamond saw today. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I thought I was going to have a couple days off before you, <laughs> you fixed everything. <laughs> but I was always, you know, me and my dad were just kind of going at it. And then, then eventually, you know, my grandfather retired from the army. My mom was retired Navy. And eventually I was just like, I, I gotta, I gotta get out of here. And that's when I, why I joined the Marine Corps. Like working for your family is the one thing that will definitely make you go, I, I got to leave this place. Yeah, I'd rather go to war, actually. Literally go to war. <laughs> yeah. And were you working at Bojangles simultaneously when you were cutting tombstones? No, I, d- I did the Bojangles thing first, like as a young teenager. And then, because I was doing that while I was in school. And then I quit school. Uh, and I went to get my GED. And uh, while I was doing that, that's when I went to work for my, my dad and my grandfather. And so you, the period of time when you were working with cutting tombstones, did you ever, were you the one that would have to interface with the customers who were grieving and dealing? Like, I can't imagine how how you get through that. And it's not like you had training in therapy. So you knew how to hold space for someone's grief as they're like getting their mom's name etched into stone. So how did you, did you have to interface with them directly or did someone else do that? No, not at all. Actually, no one in our business did. You could, we'd be what was considered more of a wholesaler. Because uh, the funeral homes and places like that across the country would would hire us to to make the order for them, and then we would ship them out and and drop these uh, like it's an eighteen wheeler full of granite is going down to Florida to Alabama to Mississippi. We're dropping everything off and getting out of there. We don't ever talk to the the people face to face. So would you be carving the names into the tomb, or would you just do the cuts of the granite? That's actually an uh, interesting question. A lot, it's it's sandblasted on, so you have like a rubber overlay, and then you just uh, like your high pressure hose spitting out little pieces of sand, and that's what cuts away at it. But my granddad uh, didn't do it. He said it was too easy to make mistakes, uh, so he really only dealt with customers that had their own equipment. So we would send a blank tombstone to them, and then they would put the na- names and dates on it themselves. Okay. So you guys were the, st- or, or we would, or I was just going to say, or we would like farm that work out to another company in the area. And then they would be liable for it. If they messed it up, then it was on them, not us. Okay. So you were essentially the storage house for these massive pieces of granite. And then you guys would do the shaping of the like actual tombstone, but the carving of the names and stuff that was farmed out. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we, we take a big, multi-ton block of granite and then cut it into different pieces and then 
carve it into what you would see in a in a cemetery or a graveyard. Got it. Okay. And what of all of these jobs that you've done, so all these customer service jobs, and you don't get to count comedy because obviously, because I think comedy is absolutely customer service. But apart from that, what has been your favorite of all of the customer service jobs you've had? I mean, working working at the comedy store was definitely like a highlight for me just because it, it gave me an opportunity to, to do the thing that I, I wanted to do the most. And, uh, and I, it was just a, I mean, look, here's the thing. I have a very love hate relationship with, with my job there because it took me into some really dark places. Fortunately, you know, like I, I drank and I did drugs while I was there, which is something that, I mean, I, I drink, but I, I never did drugs like I did when I was working there. And it was a, you know, it had to do with the, the accessibility of it and just the people that you're around that are doing it as well. And, um, it, but it, it provided me a way to make enough money to just pursue comedy full time. And, you know, I was there and I was around comedy all the time and you're, you're with some of the biggest names in the industry. So it was a, it was a really good opportunity. Um, but yeah, some people, myself included at times kind of throw that opportunity away by just trying to party and have fun all the time. Yeah. So it's, yeah, there's a, I can see, I totally agree with the love hate piece of it because it opens a million doors working there. And it also is a toxic, very difficult environment that's filled with abuse and lots of other things. Okay. Which was your, (laughs) which was your least favorite of all of those jobs? Oh, definitely the, the Uber yeah. Or, or lift. I mean, there, there's nothing. I, the fact that there are like professional chauffeurs, uh, I cannot believe that is a job that has ever existed. <laughs> but again, they're driving, they're driving the dudes, the millionaires' car. You know, like in taxi drivers, they're at least driving a, a, a taxi company's car. When when it's your own personal vehicle, the, and the amount of disrespect that you receive through that, always like treat your Uber and Lyft drivers well because they're not making a lot of money like i figured it one time i was making like less than ten dollars an hour while i was driving for uber sometimes like it just wasn't good at all well and the thing i think people don't factor in is that you're putting the miles on your tires and your engine and your car and the you know the wear and tear piece of it over and above the insurance and the gas and the whatever so if you were making less than ten dollars an hour I don't even know that you'd be breaking even, especially not with how the price of gas now. How long did you do that job? Oh yeah, there's there's no way I would do it now. I did it for like two years while I was uh, there in Los Angeles, and you know, eventually I I uh, started doing handyman work, which was uh, better. But as soon as I got the the job at the comedy store, I was like, I was done with all that, and that's all I focused on doing. Yeah, I get that. Okay. What's the weirdest thing you've been asked to do whilst on the clock? Uh, oh boy. Um, uh, I would say fill that tub of human feces with diesel fuel, light it on fire and stir it up so we can get rid of it. That's probably the <laughs> strangest thing yeah. that I've done uh, because that's how we had to get rid of our, our waste while we were in the comedy in store. Oh yeah. No, you're right. Probably a wreck. <laughs> yeah. We, it's so funny cause jarhead, they, they make reference to that. Let me just say something about working at the comedy store as a door guy, uh, because it can be a very humbling experience because, uh, what would happen and this was a couple times you would be on a show in the main room in front of 350 people and you would have a great set and just, 
you'd come off the audience is cheering and clapping and like you you just crushed it and you feel like you're on top of the world and then you're walking back to where you're supposed to be working as a door guy and the manager stops you and is like hey the toilet's clogged in the men's room. I need you to go uh, get the plunger and unstop that. And you're like, but I'm a star. <laughs> I just, I, I just, and they're like, yeah, well, we need to get in the bathroom real quick. Yeah, we just need you to go uh, unclog that toilet and also sweep up the residual cocaine that's on the floor. Yeah, that's a, that's really, that's a way to keep you uh, hungry. <laughs> Uh, so that's the weirdest thing is unclogging toilets. I guess. Well, no, not lighting poop on fire. Got it. What's an incident that made them ask to speak to your manager? Did you ever have that? Like when you were a door person taking tickets or whatever, was there ever an incident where they were like, I'm going to talk to your boss or whatever, or maybe even in the military? Like, was there ever a time when somebody went above you? You know, I, and that's the only people. Hold on. Go backwards, I Mitch. Had. I lost all that beginning bit. I, the only thing I heard you say was that those are the only people. Oh, <laughs> You could have edited that and yep. made it sound so bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Australians are Australians are the only people that I ever had problems with at the store. They they're just their rules are so relaxed in Australia as far as drinking is concerned. Like as soon as you tell them you need to see an ID or something, they're like, "Come on, mate, I'm I'm 23. Why well, I gotta show my ID or whatever?" That's a terrible. It's Australian a good thing. accent. You're crushing it. Gets the point across. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, this, this older Australian dude comes in and they had purchased front row tickets, but someone had moved to the front row after being sat and, and taken up their spot. So they showed up late and the seat was full. And we were like, hey, sorry, but we can give you this really good private seat right here in exchange. So he, he wanted to talk to the man, manager or complain about it. So I told the manager, manager told them that they could have and didn't pass that on to the server so when the server came and brought him their check he got all pissed off at me and i was like hey man i'm gonna go see if i can get get some help and it took me some time and i came back and i was like hey i don't really know what to do and he started cussing at me and that's when the manager showed up and i was i was just like fuck this guy I'm trying to help and he's being a fucking asshole. <laughs> and the manager was just like, hey, you can't talk to the customers like that. You need to just walk away <laughs> right now. And also, like, I'll be honest, we had two security guards like right next to me. So I was definitely like feeling a little braver and cocky <laughs> than I should have. But I, it, it, you just get pushed so far with, with the Australian audience members that you have a breaking point at some point in time. So did that happen consistently? That wasn't the only time with Australian customers that that kind of pushback happened. Like, did that, that was a through line you experienced when you were there? I think foreigners in general, just being in, in the States, like with them everywhere they go to show that they're over 21. America has a different culture with all than I think the United Kingdom or Australia or, you know, any place like that. So they're kind of, like dumbfounded when you are like, I will not let you into this place unless you have an identification. Even though I get it, you look like you're over 30. I can't risk that because if the alcohol board comes in, we get a $10,000 fine for stuff like that. So it's just they, they, they don't understand why we're so strict on it. And then they want to treat us like we're being assholes and power tripping when really it's just like, hey, man, I just don't want to lose my job. Yeah. 
Has a Yelp review ever affected, like, were you ever named in reviews of the store or like, were you ever affected by that where you were like, oh, I could lose my job because someone Yelp called me out? I I never got that. Uh, I never got that Google alert. So I'm not <laughs> sure if I ever got named in a Yelp review. Uh, plus, if I was having a... If I was having a tough time with somebody and they were like, what's your name? I would have been like, Matt Lockwood. And I don't <laughs> give a shit who you tell. <laughs> okay. what was, the, was there a last straw that got you out of any of these jobs? Like, especially when you were, you know, doing Uber and Lyft. I know you said that comedy was what allowed you to be able to afford to get out of it. But was there a moment where you, at any of these jobs, where you're like, I quit, light this all on fire. I'm so done. I mean, look, to, to be completely honest with you, uh, Anytime that I've ever left anything, uh, it was just to pursue comedy full time. Uh, I think on a day to day basis, I'm always like, fuck this job, no matter what it is, because I don't like doing it. I want to make my living and earn my way through life performing. That's that's what I love doing. So when I'm doing, you know, like any kind of corporate work, I I feel like I'm not serving myself. I'm serving some multimillion dollar corporation that does not give a shit about me doesn't matter where it's at whether it's bojangles or my my dad's business they don't fucking care what i want and being ages the time where i've ever been like this is for me and i'm having a great time right now and the people are loving what they're getting from me so you know it seems like most jobs have usually been as me working to a point to where i could leave that job and and then just pursue stand-up comedy full-time. Mm. So what we got from that was that you're saying the only time that you really feel like you're in control, you're in power, and you're really working to empower yourself is when you're on stage. So every other job, apart from being on stage, feels kind of like a pride swallowing, like, I don't want to be here, so whatever I can do to get out of this to stay on stage, I will do. I don't know that I would say that it's a pride thing. It's just, it, it, it's not fulfilling for mm. me. You know, I, I don't care if the boss comes up to me you know, five times a day and says, hey, we wouldn't be able to do this without you. You're, you're doing great. Thank you so much for your contributions. It's like that it, it, that doesn't serve me. It, it doesn't make me feel good about what I'm doing, you, you know, when I'm performing. And, you know, whether it was like TV shows that I was on or, or whatever, like those were the times when I was like, this is for me. I'm doing something that I enjoy doing and that's putting money in my pocket and that's why I'm here. Yeah. Have you ever told a customer to F off or get out of your face or been a little mouthy with a customer where you're like, uh oh, I may have gone too far? I mean, probably the, uh, you know, one of the things about, uh, let me think about that real quick. Okay. Um, I, I, I think like the, the only time that I've ever been like, fuck you was to that one Australian dude. Um, but there were definitely times where like at the comedy store working the back door, where you're not supposed to let people in unless they're they've already paid to get in or they they're on a show. People just try and walk right past you and you're like, hey, I can't let you through that way. And they're like, but I'm friends with such and such. And it's like, I don't care. Like I can't let you do it. So there's been a lot of times where I've had to push back on people who thought that they belonged somewhere where they did not. Uh and I don't think it's too much for an employee to ask someone, like, okay, well, if you're supposed to be here with that person call them and have them come get you because I can't just let everybody walk by because they say they're friends with Tom Cruise. That doesn't work. (laughs) Yeah. 
and you're just trying to do your job. I think that that's the thing that people forget, especially there at such a high profile place. Like you're literally just trying to earn your hourly wage. Like you're just trying to do your job. It's like what they would do to us servers when we would enforce two drinks. It's like, I don't see a dime of that money. Like, I don't care if you get two waters. I don't care what it is, but like you have made an agreement by crossing under the threshold and sitting at this table that you will be purchasing two drinks. And that's just where we're at. If you don't like the rules, please go somewhere else. This is just, it's like, you also had to come in here fully clothed. That wasn't, listen, some of y'all hot people, I'd be fine if you had less clothing on. I don't care. But these are the rules. This is what you've agreed to. I think that's the part that's really hard with the hourly jobs. Yeah, I mean, and also just disrespect. Like, people just look down on jobs mm-hmm. like that. Uh, they don't realize that, you know, people are doing the this work for a reason. It's not because you you suck at life. It's, you know, you're, you're trying to get somewhere by, by doing something. And, you know, whether it's some guy who works in, in uh, finance or... Or a woman who's uh, an Instagram social media influencer, like they're just like, "Ooh, icky, get away from me, hourly employee. I I don't have time for you." And mm-hmm. it's like, uh, I'm a fucking person too. So, you know, you just respect the fact that I'm here and I have a job to do, and then go, you know, on on a, about your very privileged life. Bye. Yeah, and congrats. Way way to be born into wealth. How many bodily fluids have been on your person whilst you've worked and been on the clock? <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't really have it as good as uh, some of the other door guys. <laughs> I, I know a couple who had a lot of bodily fluids uh, on them, okay. uh, and and they were very happy about it. Yeah, I bet uh, <laughs> some of those are fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, you know, you're always like, hey, I haven't, I haven't seen Abby around lately. <laughs> Where? <laughs> I also haven't seen the hot chick at at table five. So weird. Where? Where, where, where are they? Never <laughs> had any uh, weird gross stuff. I I got there after like the crazy. You know, there's some people who worked at the comedy store that that had blood on them because they were next to a guy that got shot. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I I didn't have to worry about that, and uh, I never had anybody throw up on me or anything. Oh, you're lucky. That, that probably would have caused some big problems for me. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty disgusting. I had that happen. Okay, are you uh, are you a tipper? Oh uh, yeah, I mean. You know, twenty percent minimum. Uh, I think my favorite thing to do is to to get like a free meal from somewhere because, you know, we're friends with the establishment, and then to just pass that on to the server. You know, like, oh hey, I got a twenty dollar tab that was comped by the house. You know, that would have that would have been a a, a five dollar tip. But hey, here's twenty dollars. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for your service. You know, I think that's one thing that I always did with like working at a comedy club. If I knew how much money. I would have been spending it with my drinks and food getting comped. I just passed that on to the servers mm-hmm. that were helping me out. Yeah, I agree with that. There was I've had a comic on who said, you know, uh, they didn't they didn't used to tip at, in when they would get a comp drink when they were about to perform because they said, well, I'm working and the bartender's working. Why would we tip if we're working? And uh, I mean, it was an interesting point, but I know that as a server who has given many a free drink to many a performer, when they don't tip, you do remember and you're like, huh, okay. <laughs> so that was, that's what this person does. Okay. I mean, even, even when I was working at the comedy store, if I was getting, you know, like my shift drink or, or whatever, uh, and I continued on into the rest of the night after I was done working, I would throw some money in the tip jar for the bartender because hey, man, you don't have to hook me up, and you are, so I appreciate it, you know? But then I will tell you there was 
a couple of bartenders who would not do that, and uh, they didn't see shit from me. So actually, there was only one. There was one bartender who was always an asshole, uh, and and he just you know he he wasn't a friendly guy to anybody. I think I know who we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And so then you don't you don't they don't wet your hands, you don't wet theirs, or grease the wheels, whatever yeah, it is they say. Exactly. Okay. You know, and then there were some bartenders like uh, she would you know, like give me a drink and then I'd, I'd go to tip her and she'd be like, no, get out of here. You, you're not going to tip me, whatever. So then I'd have to wait till she turned her back and then I could throw it in there and make sure she got a little something. So, you know, you got to take care of them whether they want you to or not sometimes. That's right. Do you ever not tip in any setting where like if you got really bad service, would you not tip? Or I don't mean exclusive to your job. I mean, just in general, is there a setting in which you wouldn't tip? No, uh, no, and I, I think a part of that is I don't mind telling servers if I if I expect a different uh, level of service. You know, I mean, we've all been there, and you know that you know sometimes you have a, a bad day. So if I'm at a table and something's going on, I likely tell the guy like, "Hey, I asked for water twice, and then you know at the end, you know twenty percent. Y'all won't go. I won't give them a better tip." I'll still tip them what, what's expected, and then hopefully they take that and, and move on and, and do better next time. That's a thoughtful thing to yeah. That's hard. I don't I don't hit my dog with a rolled up toilet paper when he does bad, but I give him a treat when he does good. <laughs> so I'm going for positive reinforcement here. That's understandable. It's good. I'm glad you're an animal owner. <laughs> Have you ever been fired from any of your jobs? Uh, Besides your dad, that doesn't count. No, I've never been fired. I have I have probably quit some jobs that they weren't sad to see me go, but I've never really given anyone the, uh, the a reason to f- fire me. That's good. I've, I've done like, there's this new trend. They call it quiet quitting, Yep. which I mean, it, it's, it's a weird thing. Cause you're not quitting your job. You're just doing the minimum amount to maintain your job, which is all I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm just like, so you, you're just doing a regular day's work is what it sounds like. I learned very early when I was in the Marine Corps, don't ever volunteer for shit. Just keep your head down low and do what you got to do to to maintain your job. You don't ever want to stand out for any reason. You don't want to stand out for being too good. You don't want to stand out for being too bad. Just do what needs to be done, and, and that's it. And that, your life's going to be a lot easier that way. And that's how you live. Good. Well, you've quietly quit every job you've ever had except for comedy. That's good. Can you give me an example of the either the yeah. the worst customer interaction you had apart from the Australian person? Or if you can't think of one example, an archetype of who is the worst customer or what style of person is the worst? In, in a comedy club, it's a person that tries to make the show about them. You know, you're, you're, you got 100 to 300 people sitting there watching a show, depending on which room it's in. And then there's someone who wants to to talk or or to yell stuff out, and and then you you give them warnings, you know, like we we had like a two warning rule. Tell them walk over there, tell them to be quiet. Tell them the second time, and they do it one more time. That's when you alert security and they escort them out. Uh, and then there were just people who would want to fight because you were taking them out of the showroom for being bad audience members. That to me was was the worst customers. Someone who got drunk was just being belligerent and now because you know you're trying not to ruin the show for the other few hundred people that are in there they think you're the bad guy and they want to punch you in the face 
Yeah, it's a weird position you're in too because as, as you're trying to gain fans because you open the show as the door person, it's like now this person remembers your name and who you are and that you had to throw them out. It's such a weird position to be in that you guys had to be the enforcers. I will be completely honest with you. Uh, that is a person that I would not ever want to be a fan of mine. <laughs> so I don't care. You know, the other yeah. 300 people that, that see me escorting this person out are appreciative of it. And those are the fans that I, I want to have. I, I don't I don't need a bunch of obnoxious people. You know, they can go listen to Joe Rogan. <laughs> and what is, uh, so the last question in this section, what is it that you, if you were telling someone coming into a comedy club, what makes them a really good audience member? Uh, sit down, drink a drink, laugh at the jokes. That's it. That's, That's it. all you got to do. It's so easy. It's, it's, it's so easy to be a good comedy club Patron. Patron. Mm -hmm. You know, you just gotta not be a jerk. Then and that's it, you know. Get you too don't get too drunk. Don't get too drunk because then you're gonna start thinking that you're 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 agreeing with the community being like, Yeah, that is funny. And it's like all we needed to hear was the laughter. We didn't need a we didn't need any remarks on the side, you know. So just come in and, and have a good time, really. That that's it. Okay. Well, folks, we're going to move on to the good stuff. We hope you saved room for dessert. What was the nicest thing a customer has done for you whilst you were working? Uh, had sex with me after a shift. Well, that is nice. That is very nice. <laughs> and now uh, you know, I think, um, I was just gonna say honestly, like the the nicest thing for for me, like as as far as like working in comedy, getting messages from people after the show, like through through Facebook or Instagram or, or whatever it is. Uh, you know, I had some videos up online where uh, this woman wrote me and said that uh, since coming back from Iraq, her husband he just wasn't the same, and that they watched some of my videos where I was talking about being a veteran in my act, and she said that was the first time that she had seen him laugh and and be happy since coming back from the war. And, I was like, man, like that's, you know, that, that hit me really hard. So I think just sincere compliments uh, are the nicest thing that people have done, you know, for me, as, as far as my comedy is concerned. For sure. And um, do you have, can you express or talk about the best tip you've ever gotten? Oh yeah. Joe Rogan. You know, I, I made a joke about his audience, but hands down, he would come into the comedy club, comedy store and, you know, you leave you leave a parking spot open for Joe, and when he leaves, as long as he doesn't have to wait for anybody to move their car out of the way, he's tipping you a hundred dollars. He he was the man. Uh, yeah. So a absolutely, Joe Rogan was was the best. I think Michael Andretti came in one time and, and gave a pretty good tip because he was friends with Jeff Ross, and we we let him park in the parking lot. Which if you weren't a paid regular at the comedy store, you weren't supposed to park back there. But when you got one of the best race car drivers in the world coming through <laughs> you know i made a i opened up a spot for him no problem because you recognized him when he drove up no jeff told me he was coming in and uh and i was like oh shit that's that's awesome so i mean i followed racing my my dad had a race car in dirt track so i was always a a, a fan of, of racing so when when he was coming through i was just like yeah no i'm gonna i'm gonna make a spot for this guy don't worry about it and can you describe the best customer interaction you had whilst you were working or who the best customer actually is? I, I will say that I was very surprised. Uh, John Barenthal, who uh, played the Punisher on Netflix, um, and he, he's got a, a pretty good, successful career. He's a very recognizable celebrity. 
uh, he came in and just asked where the bathroom, if, if he would be allowed to go use the bathroom because he was just hanging out outside. And I was like, dude, absolutely. And he was like, hey, man, thank you. I just really... And he was so polite. And there are people who come through that place on a on a daily basis who don't do shit in their life and they treat you like an asshole. And if, if a dude like John Barenthal can come through and be cool and nice, I think any any other regular asshole should be able to do it as well. Yeah. And it's it's really how you act on the come up that really says a lot about you and then especially how you act when you arrive. But for sure on the come up, because I think a lot of people come through the store thinking like, yeah, that's right. I'm rubbing shoulders. So I'm on my way. And it's like, yeah, people remember, though, and people talk. When people come through, like when other when when lesser known comedians come through with their big name comedian friend and they're acting like they are that big name comedian. Uh, that was always very annoying. Or if you stop somebody and be like, hey, we're gonna, and they're like, I'm with Dalia. Uh, and I'm like, well, I'm sorry. He walked away without you. So I did not know that. You know, like it, that happened with a few people a few times. And it's like, you know, just just try and be polite. And that'll get you a lot further than 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 being a dick because you're friends with somebody. Yeah, that's right. What's the best lesson you've personally learned from working in customer service? I, I think you just never know what kind of a day somebody's having. From being in the position is knowing that you don't know what's going on in somebody else's life. So anytime I'm going up to somebody and they're behind the counter or they're bringing food to my table, or I'm talking to them over the phone. If, I, if I'm thinking, man, this person seems off or seems rude, or seems like that, that, you know they're having a bad day, I try and think like, why? Maybe their kid is sick. Maybe they're having a relationship problem. Maybe, maybe they just found out they got cancer or something. You know, So I just always try and keep that in mind. And even if I feel like they're coming at me with a little bit of attitude, I, I just try and remember, you know, hey, something might be going on with this person. So let's just, let's just let that slide and, and let's try and keep this as polite as, as you can. You know, I, obviously they're having a rough time. So let me try. Well, that's good. Uh, what's one piece of advice you would give to customers who interact with customer service workers? Don't cuss. <laughs> the minute you cuss, uh, they're, they're done with you. You know, I mean, try and stay as calm as possible and, and let them know uh, why you're why you're upset. But the minute you, you drop any kind of cuss word, I think of most people in the service industry are just going to be like, all right, fuck you then. And, and it's over at that point. Yeah, that's right. Well, Mitch, we got through it. Uh, thank you for your time. I'm sorry for this connection. How, how can people get in touch with you? Do you like living in Texas? Do you miss working at comedy clubs? Like, tell us how people can get in touch with you and how you feel about Texas. Please follow me on all social media at Mitch Burrow, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I, I need all your help. I do not want to do this for the rest of my life. Uh, <laughs> I do not want to maintain a regular job. I want to be out there entertaining all of you in your local comedy clubs. So the more of a, a following that I have, the better chance that I get to, to come to your city and, and make you laugh. So uh, and then uh, just, you know, uh, be entertained by me. Okay, and it's at M-I-T-C-H-B-U-R-R-O-W, two R's, everybody. We'll have that in the show notes. 
And well, folks, we're going to drop your checks now. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help us out here at Service from Hell, we'd love to have you subscribe, rate, and or review the show wherever you listen. But right now you're listening on Sirius XM channel 771. She's so funny. And we really appreciate that. It will help us reach more people that need to be schooled on the art of being kind. And we'll be catharsis for those of us still working in the industry. If you want to get in touch with us here at Service from Hell directly, send us your receipts to Service from Hell podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Remember, if you can't afford to tip, you can't afford to go out. So don't be garbage and be good to people. It's easier that way. Oh, thanks, Mitch. We did it. It was rough. We did it twice. We did our best. The The audience is going to have to listen so hard, but you're so funny. So I hope this episode showcases how hilarious you actually are. And y'all slide into his DMs, get him in a, to a comedy club near you. He's so, so, so funny. You can find, do you have a YouTube channel, Mitch, or is it all, are all your clips on TikTok? How do people see sets of yeah, yours? Just, just look up Mitch Burrow on YouTube. I got, uh, several videos on there um i got a bunch of clips on on tiktok as well that have a few million views so go on there and uh like and share them okay like and share them well thank you folks so much for listening and getting through it with us you understand the 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 zoom struggle all right folks good night Thanks, Mitch. So sorry. Thank you. No, <sighs> it's it's okay. I, I wish. I don't know what I you had to. A-